This is episode 51 of the Higher Christian Life broadcast, and my name is Steve McCraney. When it comes to experiencing the higher Christian life, one aspect of our continual awareness of the greatness of our God is known by a troubling small word, namely the word fear. That's right, the fear of God or the fear of the Lord. It is used over 300 times in Scripture and is coupled with promises and blessings for those who belong to Him and warnings and curses for those who don't. In fact, the word fear has two meanings. One, it means just what it means in English, terror, fright, and dread, but it also means respect, reverence, awe, and profound honor. So how do we determine if the fear of God means fright or dread or reverence or response? That's a great question, and it all has to do with audience and context. Interested? I thought so. So join us as we discover the meaning of and the blessings that come with the fear of the Lord as we learn how to experience the higher Christian life. Let's jump right in, shall we? As we've been sharing regarding the higher Christian life, one of the easiest ways to get a fuller understanding of what it means is found in the small words we see in Scripture. Sometimes the overlooked and unimportant words such as no or the various Greek definitions of our single-use English word, often translated love, give us an insight into the heart of God that can bring great intimacy with him. Again, it's the small words that seem to be the key that opens up the deeper truth. And this principle also applies not to just the kind words like love, but also the harsh words, the unkind words that seem somewhat inconsistent with the love we experience from God, and in particular, the word fear, the fear of the Lord, the fear of God. But once we understand what that word fear means, it can open up the door to the higher Christian life than no other word can. Let me, uh, let me see if I can explain. The scriptures record over 300 times the importance of having a fear of God as strange as that word sounds, and it reveals incredible promises and blessings to those who do fear him, and rather stern and severe warnings to those who don't fear him. And the next time we get together, we'll talk about those blessings just from the book of Proverbs, from those that fear him. But again, that's a lesson for another day. But the word translated fear in both the Hebrew and the Greek leads in two opposite directions. For in Scripture, the word fear has two meanings. It has a negative meaning to tremble and be frightened, and it has a positive meaning to esteem and to just the response we have when we're standing in the presence of greatness. So let's look at just one example from Proverbs, Proverbs 9.10, to get an idea of how this word fear ties into the higher Christian life. Proverbs 9.10 says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Again, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. In this verse, the Hebrew word for fear means just what it says in the English, 
fear, as in dread, terror, and fright. But in context, being fear of the Lord, the word also conveys a positive quality that acknowledges God's good intentions and his love for his people. You can see that in Exodus 20.20. Therefore, fear in addition to being translated as dread, terror, or fright, can also be translated as respect, reverence, awe, and profound honor. Well, how do we know the difference? It's simple. It's the intended audience of this verse that determines the meaning of the word, and it's also the context of the verse. Let me explain about the audience. There are always two audiences for Scripture, and especially when we're dealing with a phrase like fear of the Lord. One audience is unbelievers who fear the judgment of God and await eternal separation for him. For them, when we talk about the fear of the Lord, it means dread, terror, and fright. And there's another audience, believers, they have a profound reverence from God and hold him in absolute awe. So for them, fear is a word describing the feeling one gets when in the presence of a supreme greatness, where it kind of takes your breath away and you recognize their greatness and your unworthiness. And it is this fear that comes with many promises that spring from having a deep and abiding respect for the Lord. And it's these promises that make experience the fear of God so important for us today, especially as we begin to look deeply into what it means to experience the higher Christian life. So this verse, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So fear translates as both dread and fright, as well as reverence and awe. And the context and the audience of the passage determine what definition we use. But what does the fear of the Lord mean for us as the believers? What is the total scope of this phrase, fear of God, fear of the Lord? And what does it say about God, our relationship to him and the higher Christian life? And finally, how can we learn to cultivate the fear of the Lord in our own lives that leads to intimacy with him and helps us become the recipients of these amazing promises? Well, first, to develop the fear of the Lord, we must come to recognize who he is and not limit him to our own understanding. In other words, not try to contain him in a box that we can understand. God is sovereign. He is our omnipotent, which means all-powerful, omniscient, which means all-knowing and omnipresent everywhere at the same time, God. And as our sovereign God, think about it. There is nothing we can do or speak, or think, or feel that he is not fully aware of at all times. There is nothing hidden from him. And as a just God, we will give an account to him for everything we have done, or thought, or for even every idle word spoken that does not bring him glory. This is an incredibly sobering thought, and this is our reality to our sovereign God. But when we get a glimpse of the reverence of God, it helps us take his words and commands more seriously. We see him for who he is and tremble at his power and glory in his mercy and grace. 
This realization that he is God and we are merely dust produces in us or should produce in us a desire to surrender our lives to him, and it helps move us along in our journey to the higher Christian life. And since, this is very important, we each know that we'll give an account of our lives to the Lord. And since we know he is fully aware of everything we speak or do or have done, then the fear of the Lord is this continual awareness of these truths 24-7, 365 days a year, every single moment of our life. We can therefore define the fear of the Lord this way. It is a continual ever-present awareness that we are in the presence of a holy, just, and righteous God, and that every motive, desire, word, thought, and action is always open to him to be judged by him. Let me say that again. The fear of the Lord is a continual, ever-present awareness that we are in the presence of a holy, just, and righteous God, and that every motive, desire, word, thought, and action is open before him to be judged by him. To sum it up, there's nowhere to hide. We are all going to face judgment, and he sees everything about us because he is a sovereign God, and that should bring us a dread and a terror for those who are lost, but for us, a profound respect that comes from being in the presence of supreme greatness. This is what it means to fear the Lord to be always aware of his presence and therefore scrutinize the motives and actions of our life to make sure they are continually pleasing to him. And if we do, it just moves us closer to this intimacy with the Lord where he honors those who honor him and he draws us close to him and we begin to experience in every fiber of our being the higher Christian life. Understanding the fear of the Lord then what are we to do? What is our response to a God like that? It's found in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, which is a very familiar passage. And understanding who God is and the fear of the Lord and our coming judgment, what should we do? What should be our reasonable service based on him? Here's what the verse says. I beseech you or beg you therefore, brethren, not by the judgment of God, but by the fact that he's given us mercy, by the mercies of God, that you, this is something we do, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, which only seems logical based on who you are and how he's forgiven you. And how is this fleshed out? Do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And once we respond that way by surrendering our life to him, once we experience the higher Christian life, once we begin to live in the fear of God, then all of a sudden this vast array of promises really beyond our comprehension, become real to us and tangible to us, and he gives them to us as a birthright, as a child of his. Now, would you like to know what these promises are? 
and these blessings are, they're innumerable and they're beyond description. And next time, we're just going to look at 10 of them, just 10, which are found just in the Proverbs. There's over 300, but we're going to look at just 10. And I think you'll be amazed at how much God blesses those who fear him. I hope this has been a blessing to you. And I look forward to talking with you again. Until then.